Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I am your host, Marianne Petrie. This episode of Slam the Gavel is sponsored by CPS Protect Consulting Services. A child protective services case is one of the most frightening experiences for any parent. Don't face it alone. Face it with confidence, with urgent assist by CPS Protect. You can have access to former CPS investigators to make sure you preserve your rights and protect your family. If you're facing CPS involvement and aren't sure where to turn, their child welfare consultants can help you. Visit cpsprotect.com forward slash subscribe and enter the coupon code slam the gavel for 60% off your first year of urgent assist. And this is available on all 50 states. I have another announcement. Bradley's mother, Narcus Golan, passed away in the fall of 2022. Bradley is autistic and needs structured routine and therapies he receives for his autism six days a week. However, Italy just entrusted Bradley to Italian social services. If he is ruled to go back, he will face the next three to four years in the Italian foster care system where he can't speak or understand the language. He will then be taken away from the only family he has ever known. Please call Governor Hochul, New York State, 518 518- 474-8390. That's Governor Hochul, 518-474-8390 to please keep Bradley here safe in these United States. Hashtag keep Bradley safe. One last announcement. Uh, go to the site www.pleasedoyourjob.com. We need 2,500 more signatures to get a case reopened, and this would be very helpful if you could go there and sign the petition. I have a return guest on. I have Tim Goldich back on. He was last on season four, episodes 32, 58, 80, and 120. And the last time he was on, we discussed men and women calling it even. And today we're going to talk about comparing and contrasting regarding misogyny versus misandry. I know I just pronounced that wrong. And the fundamental dualities like order versus chaos, love versus truth, um, and a lot of other topics that go along with that. So I welcome you, Tim Goldich. How are you? I'm good, Marianne. Thank you for having me here. I always enjoy our talks. Oh, definitely. I, I, I think I already told you that I could listen to you for hours because you sound like William Hurt. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so with this misogyny versus mis- misandry, I know. Thank you. You know, what happens? Are It's like men are pitted against women and vice versa? Well... Maybe as gender politics is currently understood, unfortunately, I think gender politics is the source of so much of our intersex miseries. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's a very negative outlook, gender politics. It, it mm-hmm. looks at victim. It's pretty much focused on on what's wrong with the world, mm-hmm. what's wrong with men and what's wrong with women. and what's uh, So it's a, it does have a very negative outlook. Anyway, uh, so misogyny is generally defined as a hostility that would target women, right? Mm-hmm. It's some kind of a some kind of a hostility, negativity, or or stereotype that would afflict women. It comes under the heading of misogyny, mm-hmm. and then misandry is the mirror opposite. It is hostility that would target men. It is uh, 
negative attitudes toward men, uh, negative stereotypes of men. And it is just as prominent in our world, even though the word misandry is hardly known at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, we don't concern ourselves with hostility toward men, even to the extent of having a word for it. You see? Mm -hmm. And what's that all about? So so now these two things, they, they go much deeper. As you know, my fundamental theory about gender is that uh, men are have always been more respected but less loved, women more loved but less respected. And it's that's significant in, in how we define misogyny and misandry. So I would say that misogyny is properly understood as a lack of respect toward women. It is some kind of um, dis of women. It is... Um, at its at its worst, it's like an infantilization of women. Mm -hmm. And then misandry, I would say, is a lack of love toward men. It is um it is a fundamentally it's an indifference toward men and and male well-being. Mm -hmm. And um and you know it takes in the most severe forms, uh, it's uh, men being imprisoned by the millions, it's men in, doing the hard hazardous labor, mm -hmm. it's men out on the battlefields, it's it's men um, oh, sort of emotionally separated from other people. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of this, a lot of this showed up more clearly, oh, 50, 100 years ago, when the sexes were more polarized than they are now, mm -hmm. but it's still real prominent. But one of the flaw I find in misogyny is that it, it implies that women are less respected and less loved. And I think that's false. Mm -hmm. I think that most of the empathy goes toward women. It is women's greater power to elicit empathy that raises only female concerns to the level of major societal concerns. Um, men and women are always complicit in all of this. There's a wheel of complicity that goes around. So no one sex can be, you know, blamed for this. This is this is something that woman and man, whether consciously or unconsciously, this is part of the dance that we're doing. It's yeah. almost like a normalization. Yeah, yeah, right. So it's normalized for males to go off to war and not females. And for the first time ever, women now seem to be actually um, seriously threatened with the possibility of being uh, part of the draft now. Mm -hmm. Personally, I'll believe it when I see it, but um, that it, it's, it's definitely a thing out there to include women in the draft, which is a serious concern given global hostilities out there. Uh, so not beyond uh, credibility that it could be a draft of a war, including a, a land war that was required troops. I hope not. I seriously hope this doesn't happen. I, I, I've got two sons. <laughs> um, I got, I've got a future beautiful daughter-in-law, and I just don't want anyone going anywhere. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. 
so anyway um yeah the biggest difference between misogyny and misandry is how how prominent the word misogyny is in our culture versus how barely existing is the word misandry mm -hmm. and that i think just comes down to um pouring most of our love concern compassion toward toward women and, and protecting women the greater protection of women mm -hmm. so that this word misogyny you see it it punishes and censures anyone that would practice hostility toward women it's a it's a word that protects women and uh, under the assumption that men don't need protection the word misandry is found in dictionaries but only if the dictionary is about that thick right um so that's yeah in fact i was somewhat involved in um, a group of uh, men's issues advocates who attempted to get the word misandry put in various uh, dictionaries. Mm -hmm. It's been a very slow, I mean, we did not succeed. It, it just happened organically eventually. And it's, it's come about so that now my my word process, my, my latest edition of Word uh, recognizes the word misandry. Mm -hmm. it's, it's become recognized out like when you're posting on YouTube or social media in general, it's no longer underlined in red as a as as a word misspelled. It's now recognized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just I'm glad I was not affected by uh, misandry or misogyny. Uh, you know, I. I'm pretty easygoing. You know, I've had guys on my podcast. I've women on my, I, I've got everybody on my podcast. Yeah. So I try to be fair and square. I know you do. It's great. That's why I love being here. Yeah. But some people aren't fair and square. I don't know. I just wonder why, you know, um, I don't know where to, where to go with this, but like with misogyny, some people think that if uh, a world leader is, you know, like running a country, doesn't matter what country, that they're automatically a narcissist. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that gets out of hand, you know, we, mm -hmm. humanity isn't, that's a slippery slope, mm -hmm. once we don't believe in anything anymore. Wow, I mean that's very nihilistic. That's that's very end of the world sort of thinking. Well, I you know when people say that about you know any world leader, it's like well that, <laughs> I mean I would think Napoleon, who probably had some narcissistic tendencies. I think anyone in power would probably have some tendencies towards that. I'm not like saying that's a horrific yeah. thing. Perhaps, but then, you know, you've got Abraham Lincoln who, you know, you can dig up some dirt on him, but really he's, he's about as pure as you get as a mm -hmm. human being, mm -hmm. you know? And, you know, Napoleon knew every name of his troops. He knew their names. Uh-huh. So, you know, he couldn't have, couldn't have been that bad of a personality disorder. 
Yeah, well, of course, his initial claim was that he was going to overthrow the powers that be and place the power in the people. That was mm -hmm. what he was all about. And that's why Beethoven was such a huge fan of Napoleon mm -hmm. until Napoleon won his wars and then declared himself emperor. And, uh, you know, well. Yeah, it, then it kind of went, went down yeah, the tubes. It went down the tubes from there. <laughs> But then you have General uh, Washington, who became president and twice uh, stepped down from the presidency in order to uh, uh, bring in someone else. He was determined that a president would not be a king. Mm -hmm. And he uh, he held those high ideals above and beyond his own ambition, his own, you know, human narcissism, his own uh, power hunger that like anybody would have, and he did twice step down mm -hmm. in order to establish this pattern that a, a president is is not permanent. And he chose, you know, what should we call you? Should we call you, you know, Lord Washington or High Grand Exalted Washington or, you know, whatever it is. He just called me, no, just, just call me Mr. President. That'll be mm -hmm. good. Yeah. Um... So, you know, there are greats in history, no one perfect it's naive to look to anyone to be pure and perfect but but there are some very great people and that have come along in in our history mm -hmm. and i just think because we've done a podcast before is what was why can't people just get along or something to that effect and i i just wish people would just get along but I think, you know, all I hear is uh, issues with false allegations. You know, uh, I just wish people would just stop and just tell the truth. Well, right. And we've talked about that before also and how the divorce court and its perversity, it threatens both parents with the worst possible thing that could happen. Mm -hmm. alienation from their children mm -hmm. what could be worse than that and so yeah threatened with with that it's not surprising that people would lie mm -hmm. if it meant you know maintaining their position as, as parent of the, of the children if you don't want to become a, a visitor mm -hmm. visitation rights you know you have to do whatever it takes to try and a lot of those children. Mm -hmm. So let, let's let's talk about these, these fundamental dualities. So this is something we haven't talked about before. Okay. So I think this is very interesting. To me, this is a key piece of human wisdom. And that is to understand fundamental dualities and, and the effort of, is to integrate and and balance these fundamental dualities all right so let's but but the thing is one of the defining characteristics of a fundamental duality is that the the two ends are in conflict they don't like each other mm -hmm. they don't want to be in the same room with each other one will attempt to sort of sweep the other right off the table okay so let's take like order and chaos mm -hmm. it's obvious here order literally destroys chaos and chaos literally destroys order. Mm -hmm. 
But here's the thing. These two entities are enemies and they are in conflict, but they need each other. They, one is dysfunctional without the other. So if all you've got is order, then there's no freedom. There's no creativity. There's no thinking outside the box. There's no rock and roll. There's no rebellion. There's no, you see, you're, you're lacking so much of, of life when, if everything is order. And likewise, of course, if everything is chaos, well, it's obvious the downsides of that, you know. Mm -hmm. But this this holds true of others, um, like um, accountability and compassion. Mm -hmm. So from the point of view of accountability, compassion just gets in the way. So accountability says, you'll have that report on my desk at 8 o'clock, 8 a.m. Monday morning. And uh, the, uh, the employee says, yes, sir. And then in the morning, you know, it, it, it's not ready. Mm -hmm. And the employee says, well, you know, my my son was run over by a car, you know. Mm -hmm. I spent my, the weekend at the hospital and everything. And, all, and then if it's pure accountability, the boss says, no excuses. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're fired or you're demoted or whatever it is. Somebody else comes along and does the report. And you're... Um, so... At its extreme, it becomes dysfunctional. Who could work under those conditions? Who could who could stay in a job that was that harsh? Yeah. Right? But then if it's all compassion and no accountability, then it's Monday morning and where's that report? And it's, oh, I don't know. I, I just didn't feel good. No. I was tired. <laughs> yeah. And the boss says, oh, okay, that's fine. Really. So that's dysfunctional too, right? I mean, you can't get right. any work done if it's... So these two entities don't like each other and they don't want to be in the same room with each other. Mm -hmm. The wise will find a way to integrate these two and balance them out. Uh, here's one of the most interesting ones. I think the, the deepest of the fundamental dualities is um, love and truth. And you might not immediately think of those two things as being in, in uh, conflict, but they, they are. So from, from a pure love archetype standpoint truths just get in the way because truths conflict and love doesn't want to know about conflict love just wants mutuality and harmony and uh, everybody gets along mm -hmm. you know and so love will say things like well um everybody's truth is equally valid which is basically to say truth doesn't mean anything and love will say, Mickey Spillane was every bit as great a writer as William Shakespeare, if that's how you th feel about it. Mm -hmm. And again, so you wipe conflict off. The, but but uh, truth doesn't play that game. Truth says, William Shakespeare was an absolutely superior author, infinitely finer writer, than Mickey Spillane, and that's it. That's what's true. That's the truth. And I don't care whose feelings get hurt. I don't care who's upset about it. You know, right. truth is ruthless. See, if you drain all the love away from truth, it becomes ruthless. Mm -hmm. If you drain all the truth from love, it becomes pablum. Mm -hmm. 
Here's an example. I love this. This is a great story. Okay. So this is a George Carlin joke. He says, um, when I was a child, my Aunt Harry would come to visit. And she had this mole on her face with hair sticking out of it. <laughs> so he asked his mother, you know, mommy, what, what is that on Aunt Harriet's face? And his mother says, well, that's a beauty mark. And George Carlin looks into the eyes and says, from that moment on, I knew adults were full of shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So that's an example of like love where you drain all the truth out of it. Mm-hmm. And it becomes a kind of pavlum. And political correctness is, is uh, guilty of a lot of that. It's strong on love, but weak on truth. Okay. Yeah. And um, so again, both are necessary. Mm-hmm. If you lived in a world that was all love and there was no truth in it, wow, I mean, that would be such an empty, pablum, passive uh, world to live in. Oh, my God, there'd be no there'd be no science. Science is all based on truth. And in fact, science is based on a hierarchy of truth so that Isaac Newton comes out with his truth to the best of his ability at that time period. And, uh, but then when Einstein comes along, his truths go even deeper. And so the, the, the theories uh, of, of relativity are, are, are brought up higher than Newton's mechanics because there's more truth in them that you can, you can explain, you can account for more uh, of, uh, of observable reality using relativity than you can using Newton's mechanics. So that makes relatively relativity higher in truth. Mm-hmm. Um, another, let's see, what's another uh, interesting one? So liberalism versus conservatism. And that's important because that's one of those things where few people would really consciously make a choice and say, well, I'll just choose love and I don't care about truth or, or I'll just choose truth and I don't care about love. That would be unusual for anybody to to at least come out and consciously declare it like that. But a lot of people come out and say, I'm a conservative or I'm a liberal. So um, I'll begin looking at liberal and conservative by making some definitions. So I'll define I'll define conservatism as an effort to make the world a better place through a focus on preserving that which is judged to be of great and enduring value. And I'll define liberalism as an effort to make the world a better place through a focus on that which is judged to bring about constructive change. Okay. So they're both, they both have an element of judgment in them. So they're both subject to error. But they're both fundamental. Mm-hmm. They're both absolutely fundamental. Why would anybody choose one? So I say that the the wise course is to and, and, and see it takes wisdom because these two things are in conflict. They don't they don't like each other. They don't want to you know you can see out in the world how the how um, divisive these these are and yet 
one is dysfunctional without the other. If 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 all you've got is conservatism, then nothing would ever change. You know, we'd still be living in grass huts. But if everything was liberalism, then nothing would have great and enduring value. Then nothing would be sacred. Nothing would be um, yeah. I mean, nothing would be sacred. Um, for liberals, uh, the extreme liberals, I mean, you know, um, if you drain all the conservatism out, then nothing really has any value that's more than like 10 minutes old, because according to liberalism, you know, the, the wisdom has come just, just now. Mm -hmm. The past was so unwise, so unwoke, and now we have uh, enlightenment. Well, it's not necessarily so. Um, so the task becomes, how do you integrate these two things? How do you balance them out? This is, this is the, uh, I believe, the wise course. This is what we would do because we need both. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, another thing I want to say about liberalism and conservatism is that it's a key piece in gender politics. Because I think so many conflicts in gender politics they are presented as conflicts between men's interests versus women's interests. Mm -hmm. When in fact, they're really just conflicts between gender political liberals of both sexes versus gender political conservatives of both sexes. Mm -hmm. And I think abortion is a, is a, a prime example of that. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think that the Curtailing abortion is sold as purely uh, a targeting of women. But when you consider how many conservative women are out there that are absolutely against abortion, mm -hmm. it's really not a male versus female thing. It's really more of a liberal versus conservative thing. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And, uh, I mean, I personally, I mean, I would probably never have an abortion. That's just how I feel. But right. I can think of 14 people that should have been aborted. <laughs> yes, indeed. I remember count, what was it, a uh, point counterpoint between um, uh, Dan uh, Aykroyd and, J and Jane uh, Curtin, right? They do point counterpoint. And Jane would take the liberal view and Dan would take the conservative view. And right, they're arguing about abortion. And I don't remember if I'm as hilarious. It goes back and forth. You know, they're just they're just brilliant, you know, comedians both. And and um, you know, of course, Dan's against abortion and he, he closes with uh I would make one exception in your case, Jane, where I would not only condone the abortion but perform it myself. <laughs> yeah that's great comedy anyway yeah. <laughs> i love dan Aykroyd. <laughs> i know he did all he did all those sort of 
um, I don't know, staunch conservative characters who would do these, you know. <laughs> It'd be it's so funny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think also, you know, well, you know, there are people that are independents that are, they're just independent. Well, that's right. You know, that's what I would say. I mean, I'm not going to call myself a liberal or a conservative because I value both. Mm -hmm. Why would I label myself as one or the other? Yeah, I wouldn't do that. So I'd be independent in terms of, of that. Mm -hmm. There's another thing about liberals and conservatism. So let's, let's make the distinction between conservatism and conservatives. Okay? Mm -hmm. So conservatism is a bedrock conceptual outlook that goes all the way back uh, old as the hills. Uh, but conservatives are people. People who have labeled themselves conservatives. Mm -hmm. And there's a disconnect. So if these people are truly conservatives, if con conservatism is their guiding principle, then how can they be against conservation? Mm -hmm. See, that makes no sense. I mean, if you're talking about preserving that, which is a great and enduring value, what, what, how more perfectly does that fit uh, with um, conserving the natural world? Mm -hmm. So, so there's a disconnect between conservatism and conservatives. And I would look over in the mirror opposite there with liberals and I do the same thing. Mm -hmm. For liberals, when it comes to gender and gender issues, they think they're progressive, but in my opinion, they're staunch conservatives. And I'll explain why. It's because what they promote is a worldview in which men have the power, women are the victims. It's man bad, the overempowered oppressor, woman good, the innocent victim. Now, those truths are congruent with instinct and arrows, so they go way back. Um, but if liberals really wanted to be progressive, mm -hmm. then they would want to do something different. Mm -hmm. And rather than just uh, promote and stay trapped within this this moral duality of man bad woman good and the, well, these these views that go all the way back if they really want to be progressive they need to start looking at the truths the facts and truths of female power and male victimization mm -hmm. because those truths uh have never really made it into the mainstream those are that's those are the facts and truths that are new those are the facts and truths that are missing if you really want to be progressive you'd break through age-old inhibition and start looking at how woman is and has always been equal partner in the human system playing an equal overall force of influence equally responsible for outcomes mm -hmm. you, you want to be progressive that's where you go you don't, you don't just stick with the same uh, gender views that, that held you know in, in ancient rome you, you, you want to look at something new mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and same with uh, with male victimization. We've never taken a serious look at 
empathy toward men and what men suffer and the the sexism that men suffer, the double binds. Mm -hmm. If we looked at all that, if we looked at this other half of gender reality, you see, then it becomes possible for a woman and man to call it even. See, that's right. the beauty of it. That's why I'm so on about looking at this other half of gender reality, mm -hmm. not because I want to raise it up to to shove the, the female perspectives off the table, like like so many out there. Um, I don't want to replace men of the power and women of the victims with women have the power, men of the victims. Mm -hmm. There's no step forward in that. That's that, that just trades one sort of toxic belief system with another. Mm -hmm. I'm looking to with this vain hope, if anybody's still interested out there in woman and man finding some measure of resolution and a willingness to let down their weaponry, mm -hmm. call it even, and start looking at these gender issues as matters of shared responsibility. The woman right. and man co-created this whole thing. Mm -hmm in equal partnership. And so neither sex is to blame, but, but both sexes are accountable. Both sexes are responsible for, for the world we live in. Definitely. I mean, it's just, uh, I noticed that um, sometimes, you know, like in, in my world that I see, um, you know, a lot of men who have been done wrong by the system totally hate women. Oh, yeah. Oh, misogyny is totally real. And so is misandry. Mm -hmm. They're totally real, of course. Yes. As one author that I admire very much, Nancy Friday, she's like, well, of course, men and women are particularly hostile toward each other. We get naked with each other. Mm -hmm. And think about that. You know, we literally get naked with each other and, and not just physically, but emotionally. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, it, the potential for betrayal, it runs really deep, you know? So, so yes, the, unfortunately, and gender politics feeds this hostility, this mm -hmm. intersex hostility. That's a shame. It is. Because there's so much time wasted fighting over, you know, um, you know I, I've made friends with some of these guys that hate women. Uh -huh. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> to show them that, you know, like there are decent women out there. They're few and yeah. far between. And, and and you can say that about guys. You know, people are, are looking to find a spouse. And it's like, well, they're few and far between. Yeah. What are you going to do? You know? Jeez. Yeah. Well, that kind of gets us to our third topic. <laughs> what would the world look like under gender equalism? Okay, so under gender equalism, we come to understand uh, that male and female issues mirror each other. The gender reality is mirrored. And that mirrors is the single best analogy we could make 
where gender is concerned, that it's all all mirrors. So, um, so what's the mirror opposite of anorexia? Well, at first we might be stumped. We might say, "Well, there's there's men aren't starving themselves. What what, what is that?" Well, you see, the mirror opposites. You see, just as men and men and women are the same, but different. <laughs> and so the mirror opposites are the same, but different. So if anorexia, at least as seen through a gender political lens, is women uh, taking a, a self-destructive and sometimes fatal path, Mm-hmm. Their efforts to achieve a societal ideal that we might call a, a Barbie doll figure, right? Well, then what's the mirror opposite of that? Well, that's that's males taking a, a self-destructive, sometimes fatal path in their efforts to achieve a societal ideal of the G.I. Joe physique. And how do they do that? Through megadoses of steroids. Mm-hmm. If they're going to go, if they're going to be as extreme in what they do as an anorexic is in in, in the direction she goes, then like when she looks in the mirror, she thinks she looks fat, even when she's emaciated. Mm -hmm. And, and he, her mirror opposite, when he looks in the mirror, he thinks he looks skinny and weak, even when he's all bulked up. Mm -hmm. See, uh, body dysmorphia. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so both of these issues are are deep and intense. The fact that they they mirror each other, the, the, these issues mirror each other, doesn't mean they cancel each other out, mm-hmm. right? So anorexia remains a, a huge important issue. And this abuse of steroids and human growth hormone um, is equally bad. It's it's the consequences are um, to toward the, the health and um, you know heavy steroid abuse permanently shrink your genitals, mm-hmm. your testosterone levels go down. You become um, what infertile. You can't have children. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are permanent. And at, at worst, uh, you get like testicular cancer or some other kind of cancer. Mm-hmm. You know, mega doses of this stuff where you take it to an extreme. And then there's one other way that it becomes fatal, and that is once in a while, one of these these giant guys, you know, and they're like the Incredible Hulk, right? And they're just incredibly strong and powerful and big and bulked up. And they go into something called roid rage, which is mm-hmm. uh, debated a bit, but, but but apparently there's this roid rage that can happen. So they're in some I don't know office situation or something, and they're they're throwing these five hundred pound desks around like they're you know it's made of styrofoam. Mm-hmm. And they call the police, and the police come, and they don't want to know. They just see this 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 man who's terrifying, mm-hmm. who could break him in half, and they're likely to. Sh- shoot first and ask questions later mm-hmm. you know so there's um a, a number of these men that have died by what it's sometimes called suicide by um by police what is what is that what right is 
exactly, but you know, mm-hmm. it's a man or a woman who is ready to die, ready to commit suicide. The police show up and they just charge the police. They just charge right at them to, to be killed. Mm-hmm. Suicide. Yeah. Yeah. What a world, though. Yeah. It's really messed up. <laughs> but these things do exist. And people have to somehow get along. Have to somehow get along. Mm-hmm. So here's the difference. When you come to know these male-female issues as mirrored, what changes is the attitude toward these issues. The severity of the issue doesn't change. The importance of the issue doesn't change, but attitudes toward the issues change. For example, there's a book called The Beauty Myth, written by um, Naomi Wolf. Mm-hmm. And in it, she gets a, a false statistic from, um, from a Gloria Steinem book. I think it was called The Enemy Within. Mm-hmm. And Gloria Steinem was attending some kind of conference or something. And she heard someone say that 150,000 women die every year of anorexia. But in fact, what was said was that about 150,000 women suffer from anorexia, not die from. Mm-hmm. But you see, gender politicians on both sides have a tendency to go for confirmation bias. And I've seen this happen in myself, too, where the latch hold of some fact and you so want it to be true that you don't question it. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a, a, um, a story going around of, of some, some guy uh, and his uh, ex uh, girlfriend was a dentist and she went to him uh, for dentistry and she pulled all his teeth out. And uh, this was a story now, but wait, now think about that. Okay. Now think about that how long it takes to extract a tooth. We got 32 teeth. Mm -hmm. It would be hours and hours of pulling those teeth out. Right. Right. I mean, it's not credible in the least when you actually think about it, but I fell for it because of confirmation bias. You know, okay, there's a, there's a great example of female hostility and violence, you know? Mm -hmm. So, okay. But that's false. You know, you got to be careful with that stuff. These, it's said that most of the information out there is misinformation. That's is probably true. Uh, anyway, so um, so Naomi Wolf writes this book called The Beauty Myth, and in it she writes that uh, she believes that 150,000 women die every year of anorexia, and she calls it, she compares it to the Holocaust. And she says it's a Holocaust created not by nature, but by men. You know, she blames men for for all these women starving themselves because she believes that men like women that are skinny, mm. which is actually pretty false on average. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, um, the attitude. See, so, so this looking at, looking at men as akin to Nazis is, well, not just imbalanced, but incredibly unhealthy. It's 
it's actually a, a denigration of men that's a, akin to a kind of violence toward men. Mm -hmm. Not really that terrible. Um, but you see, once you know that there's anorexia on the one hand, and on the other hand, there's the steroid abuse, you're not so quick to go to to catastrophize and become toxic with all this stuff. Mm -hmm. You can um, you can look at these things and you know understand that the sexes are always partnered in these things. These are you, know, you, you can't just point the finger at one sex and say this is your fault. And, um, and the attitude improves greatly. So what I would envision in a world under gender equalism is gender equalist classrooms. So these would be gender studies classrooms, but, but what they would do is they go through history and they would look at all, all these issues are mirrored. And how, so you talk about, say, okay, you go, let's take a look at how men throughout history have seemed more important than women. And you take a, a look at all that, and you look at all the permutations of that. And then you say, okay, now looking in the mirror opposite, let's take a look at all the ways in which women have seemed to be somehow more valuable than men. Too valuable to be slaughtered on battlefields, right? Women have always had a kind of an in, uh, a superior innate value because women give birth and men don't. So, so woman plus nothing equals man plus family supporting wage because the woman has a, a deeper innate value. She is, she is more pursued, more desired. She, in, in naturalist terms, she possesses the more valued reproductive resource. Okay. Hmm. So mm -hmm. you'd be looking at, you'd be doing that back and forth, back and forth. Mm -hmm. Always concluding, see, look, it really all balances out. And then all these graduates of these gender equalist classrooms would come out with a, a balanced, and healthy outlook. Mm -hmm. that, that would make it a lot easier for men and women to get together right right um you know like in in the uh really old you know centuries even centuries ago um we'll say for instance well let's say let's take uh princess diana for instance yeah they just used her to produce two heirs that's all it was <laughs> you know that's that's all that motive whole thing was even though she loved prince charles he was in love with somebody else. I don't know. I don't know anything about that. I know that the world was very much in love with Princess Diana and mm -hmm. remains, she remains an icon. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the politics were in that particular situation between she and Prince Charles. I don't know. Well, I know that I've heard, read, whatever, that uh, the, the queen was on him to marry because he was getting older. And just, uh, you know, and so he, you know, picked her and she, she was crazy about him, uh, but he, 
had something going on with this other woman still who was married, I guess, at the time. I don't know. But it was it just seemed that and everyone has said they just used her to get to heirs out of out, just out of her. They just used her. And then look how they treated her afterwards. No, no, no. <laughs> she died in a car crash. Her driver died with her, I believe. Mm-hmm. Was there talk about the driver being fatigued or something, or yeah, the, or something like that? He was speeding too, probably to get away from the paparazzi. Mm-hmm. And also, her boyfriend died there as well. So, her boyfriend? yeah, she was. Uh, the driver was a woman. No, uh, they had a driver, and then her boyfriend was Dodi Al Fayed. So she was dating Dodi Al Fayed at that time. So they, those two, were in the back seat. Oh. And then she had a bodyguard in the passenger seat, and then they had a driver. You know, um, I'm surprised yeah. the bodyguard lived through it. Did he? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Luck of a draw with a crash like that. I think. That's ter- yeah. But I don't, I don't like it when some of these sexes use each other to get to a goal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just using Princess Diana as an example, but there are other examples where, you know, men have been used to attain a goal. Uh-huh. So it, it goes both ways. I don't know what to think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, men and women are not so very different, but what they have many of the same behaviors and traits that... It usually just comes down to bell curves. So men tend to lean more heavily on dominant strategies. Women tend to lean more heavily on manipulative sta- uh, strategies. Mm-hmm. Um, but both domination and manipulation are effective modus operandi for getting what we want. And so both sexes use both. Right. It's just a matter of degree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I agree with. And you see that all the time, at least in my world, (laughs) the manipulation and, you know. Yeah, it's one of the the great paradoxes of gender is um, on the one hand, men and women are pretty much the same. And if, if you look for what is the difference between men and women, you know, you just don't find it. And yet, somehow men and women are different enough to sustain the idea that we're opposites, opposite sexes. That's a very interesting, and there's an old joke I love. What's the difference between men and women? All men love the Three Stooges, all women hate the Three Stooges. <laughs> oh, I always like the Three Stooges. See, there you go. See, there you go. But, but what's <laughs> interesting to me about that joke is the lengths we'll go to to try and find the the difference between men and women. Mm-hmm. And, and yes, I have a, a girlfriend um, named Denise who's a 
a registered nurse and she specialized in humor therapy mm -hmm. and she did this thing called a joke exchange where you gather up in a big circle around a big table or set of tables and you go around telling jokes mm -hmm. and um, people often brought notepads and write down jokes that they like um but denise had never seen the three stooges because of that stereotype you know she just assumed that they were for men and that she wouldn't like them that they're, they're just they're not for women right and so i was showing her some three stooges and i thought she was gonna die she, was, she just was laughing so hard so yeah these stereotypes they don't work mm -hmm. you know they don't work no there are, there are bell curves that sort of define generally trends and tendencies but when you try and boil it down to a stereotype like men are like this and women are like that it doesn't work doesn't... yeah it's it's a matter of balancing out getting along getting along i know i know <laughs> We have to. I, I know there's that, that group that uh, men go their own way. Yeah. MGTOW. M-G-T-O-W. <laughs> men going their own way. Yeah. Long before that, we're, there was the, the feminist separatist movement. Yeah. So it's gotten that bad. <laughs> Where the sexes are contemplating just a divide and you go your way and we'll go ours. Mm -hmm. I think very, not a very sustainable system. Right. But I think there's more personality disorders out there than there were 30 years ago. Yes. And I think uh, that's why this is happening. A lot more broken homes. Mm -hmm. A lot more fatherlessness. And motherlessness, too. Yeah. Yeah. And daycare. Yeah, that's yeah. Kids daycare for eight hours a day. What is that doing to kids? It, I think that makes them aggressive. I read that. I was reading about daycare that uh, you know these kids have to fight for their toys. Yeah. Uh, I fight just the teachers' attention. Right. And then there was that thing. I don't know if you saw that where it was around Halloween of last year that the priest preschool or daycare worker wore that that um scream mask and she went around just scaring the hell out of these little did see that yeah that's obscene i know because it's like i love halloween i want those kids to love halloween but now after this they're traumatized I, and they don't right. get it they're so insensitive they don't grasp how fragile kids are and how those traumas mm -hmm. are they what they become well source of neuroses mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, geez can I imagine I know how paranoid they get from a thing like that and uh I mean, they're all kids are already scared of what might be under the bed, you know, without 
That, that's, yeah, that was evil. And uh, idea of a joke, I guess. Ah, uh, bad one. Ooh, that was just terrible, terrifying. And, um, but I mean, I'd like to have you back on again so we can talk about more things like this is fascinating. And, um, you know, uh, is there anything you'd like to add or recommend? Uh, well, I don't know. We seem to have come to a pretty natural conclusion there. I could go on in more detail about what I think a, a world under general equalism would look like. Mm-hmm. But um, Well, we could do that on the next podcast because I'm, I'm going to have you come back on anyway. Okay. Sounds great. Most definitely. How can people reach you if they have any questions? Well, they can uh, email me. So my email is is T-A, that's Timothy Austin, T-A Goldich, G-O-L-D-I-C-H, at hotmail.com. And I'll have that in the podcast notes, but right. yeah. yeah, don't jump off though, okay? Slam the Gavels, a podcast help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms. I am your host, Marianne Petri, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth, and Raised by These Wolves, How Family and Federal Courts Are Failing Our Children. You can find me on Spotify, YouTube, Apple iTunes, Anchor FM, iHeartRadio, and feel free to donate to buy me a coffee to keep the podcast going. And I thank you so much, Tim Goldish. I totally appreciate you. Thank you, Marianne. It's awesome to be here. And you'll be back.